0: We absolutely had to and then we just got home really late here's what happened today and this is interesting because on our way back we were talking about worship and so on and during worship kathy actually had a vision that i want you to come up and share kathy take the mic and come up and share it and i want you to listen to this because it actually fits in with the sermon just beautifully but it also is just again i want to say what god is trying to do in worship and in the world and the whole thing so go ahead kathy
1: I love what Kurt just said about you know us wanting to be a different type of church. And that just fits beautifully with, with what God showed me. I was so moved and just blessed by that last song that we sang, the one that says, "Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves me, Oh, how he loves." And then, I began to see his hand surrounding me let me let me say i don't use, i don't get visions i i get you know pictures um, you know which then i can pray over and so on but i i don't get visions i've only had one or two others in my life which i realize is probably more than than a lot of people but still anyway okay i saw the hands i had to make some notes so i'd remember Jesus' hands were surrounding me, and and it was like it was in the shape of a of a heart, kind of. But it was clearly um, his hands, you know, uh, enveloping me and surrounding me. And his hand kind of became a globe, and and I I was aware of myself on it. And I saw that globe and I saw myself as very, very, I was aware of myself being there, but very, very, very small on it. The globe kind of then melted into a a heart and I began to see, this is the heart of what I saw. I began to see people, I began to see cities, I began to see villages, I began to see um, people in in those places. I saw campfires, and the first thing I saw was a campfire on, an, on a mountaintop in northern Thailand, and I actually saw this. That's where God had gave me my call to the mission field. I was uh, on a mountaintop in northern Thailand ministering to the Aka tribal people, and I st- walked away from the group, and I stood on the, on the kind of the brow of the the hill looking away from the village, and I saw just the hand of God gathering in all the stars, so that's what I, that's the first thing I saw, but I also saw yurts and tents and, um, you know, bamboo huts, and I saw people around them, and I saw, I saw some, some people that were um, apparently in the desert. Uh, the wind was just whipping them, and they had their, um, you know, claws over their face as they went through. And um, God just really clearly made me aware that this heart and this hand was covering all the little people of the world, just like I saw myself on the globe, but very small on it. He's, I saw those people. And in his heart, just like I knew from the, as we sang that
2: song, in his heart, they were huge, big, covering his heart, and his hand was covering them. And he was saying, oh, how I love you. And one of the things that I saw was a big city. I, I don't know what that city was. I don't know whether it was New York or Calcutta or, <laughs> or you know, whatever, London. Um, but I saw a poor family struggling to find their next their next meal. I'm waiting for the littlest
1: one to come back in after probably begging. I, I'm not sure, but coming back in
2: for food. I just, I think the message that God, I know the message God was giving me was, get on with it. <laughs> get on with it. There's a, a whole world out there. I'm so thankful, Kurt, that you love and are growing us. There are people who haven't heard the name of Jesus, who wouldn't know what. Wouldn't know what to do with it if they heard the name of Jesus. Wouldn't understand it at all. Matter of fact, there are people that can't even understand our concept of God. They can't, they can't, they don't get it. It's not in their worldview.
0: Anyway, I don't want to preach, but uh, (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) well go ahead i I just i'm gonna go ahead because i just want want i want you to do something i want you to understand here let me help you down uh (laughs) let me just say that this is i I wanted to open with that because here was my original opening we're in our series on the book of revelation and here i think i got it guys it's my fault okay So we're in our series on the book of Revelation, and we've been seeing all of these incredible things. I mean, when you think about the book of Revelation, when a normal person just thinks about the book that knows anything about it, what do you think of? Really hard things, really bad things, really, really. And what we've been seeing now for almost a year, however long it's been, what we've been seeing for a long period of time now is is. Man, there's just glorious stuff in here. If you just look at it plainly, if you don't get caught up in, in all of it, and you just say, what's God trying to communicate? You see these amazing, amazing things about God. But every once in a while, this is the second time in the book only, but this is the second time in the book where you just see something that frankly is just really hard. And I mean, it's just really hard. It's so hard that in your weekly update where you get what's the sermon about this week, I warned you about bringing somebody that might not know the Lord and to church today because I said this is just a really hard, hard passage. Now, if you did bring somebody, you might want to start looking at the weekly update next time. And, and I want to assure you, if you came with somebody, hang in there because this really is a glorious thing that we're going to see yet again today. But the bottom line is, is we're looking at a very hard place, and the hard place is, is this is the place where the people that don't know God are being judged. And it's just hard. And when I say hard, I don't mean Christians do not gloat in this time. The, God is communicating something which is that. His just passion, his just love, this, it's, the, it's a grievous moment. And it is supposed to be that in us. And so, I'm just, you know, having that word come today, particularly after our conversation about worship and anointing and so on, it's just cool. But the bottom line is, I feel like God just covered me because he really was trying to say, I want you to get the heart of this, and that's what we're doing today. We're going to look at the heart of God in the midst of judgment. Because there's this issue, isn't there, which is God says that he is love, and We believe that he's loving. We've come to know him as an incredibly loving God, and yet here's this really really hard thing how do you reconcile those two things it turns out it's not hard you just look at it and look at what he's doing and you go oh my gosh it is going to blow your mind the depths to which god goes to reach people and when we really start understanding the depths to which god is going to reach people in the end we understand that that's his character and his nature and that isn't something that's just for the end it's the exact way that he is with us today the depths to which God is going to reach us, whether we know him or not, is phenomenal. So with this in mind, we're just going to go ahead and dig in. Uh, Adam Carpenter, this is awesome. Adam, you were great at Men's Retreat, wherever you are. Honestly, I got to tell you, he brought laughter and he brought insight. and He brought questions that he just... It was just one of those moments, you guys, where God was just doing things. I've never seen this kind of thing happen before, and you were awesome there. So lift up. He's on our steering teams, youth, and worship. He does all kinds of stuff back in the house. Pray for the sermon. uh, Lift up another church, would you?
1: God, we're just so thankful uh, for your obvious presence amongst us today, God. Um, We just ask for that continued presence as Kurt brings the word. I just pray um, personally, God, for an open heart and open mind, God, that, that your word just sinks in today. And I do lift up the men's retreat as they have one final service. Thank you for being in the midst of them. And I pray as they have one last time together that you just really knit that group together. Mm-hmm. And that you show up there as well. And that they come back with just a greater understanding of who you are and of who each other are.
0: Thank you so much in your name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now... Just to bring us all up to speed, okay, remember that what we've been talking about, amongst other things, is is that this chapter 6 through 11 in Revelation is a history, okay? This This is a history that doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. This is not like some secret stuff that people can't see. This is, if you were writing a history, if you're after this point in time, after the seventh trumpet, you're writing down what actually happened. This is what actually happened, and everybody on the earth sees it. Okay, So this is just uh, so many times before God has prophesied what's going to happen and it happens just like he said. So this is that. This is God telling us what the world is going to look like from chapter 6 to chapter 11 through a certain period of time. And it is actual history that anybody can see. Okay, But then we've been noting something and I'm not going to go into detail because we've been doing that several times but then we did something we said at chapters 12 and 13 what God does is having laid out the history to Christ's return God then pushes a pause button in the timeline the history one that everybody can see and he pulls the veil back and he reveals this is the spiritual realm that is behind the physical material world which we can see and write histories about see what I'm saying so what's happening is in chapters 12 and 13, what God is doing is he's revealing the spiritual impulses that are behind the things we see in the world, and we've seen that in incredible ways, and it makes explainable things that we've seen. I had a guy from Germany listen to the sermon that we did about Hitler and so on, and, and he came up and he said, I'm from Germany, and you know I have relatives that were part of all of that, and he said, I never understood what happened there, and now with what was in chapters 12 and 13, when God was explaining what was behind it, he said, for the first time, I understand why people went so crazy. I understand why they just went lunatic. It was a spiritual influence over the things of this world. So that's what 12 and 13 is. And then when we hit 14, I made a statement last week that I'm gonna have to amend slightly this week, okay? And what I'm this is what i about to say is true, but there's, you'll get it in a second. What happens is, oh, I'm sorry, I told you I was really tired. I might miss something. So let me just do something very important for this sermon. Remember, the reason why God has the spiritual separated from the material, that wasn't his original intent. In the garden, he had the spiritual and the material world, the physical world. They were all one. They were completely joined. The natural beings that were Adam and Eve could see the spiritual being that is God plainly. They could see the spiritual. See that? And then what happened was, is when they made a choice to go away from God, God did something that is incredibly important for us to remember. God said, I want you to have real free will, why? Because if we could open our eyes and see that God was there right now, would you worship him? Yeah, but why would you worship him? Because it'd be really stupid not to, right? You'd worship him not because you loved him, but because he's there, and you know, you know, you're in a company town, you know what I mean? And it's nice to kiss up to the boss, okay? So you know what I mean? That's not a relationship. So God does this thing where he separates the spiritual from the material. He separates them in a way that if the spiritual's still there, but he makes it to where it's not directly perceived by our five senses to the degree that somebody who wants to choose some way other than God can. If God was there, you can't. I mean, you can still choose not to follow him, but you couldn't deny his existence. And what God does is he makes this free will so absolute that people can say none of this is real, none of this is true, and they can just, despite all the evidence of all the billions of Christians that have said, but it's not proof. God doesn't prove himself. He just makes it clear, and then you get to make a real choice, real free will. So we have to remember this, and, and here's the thing. We're taking it one step deeper than we normally do right now. I want you to understand, the thing that God is doing is, he's actually saying, it's better when you come into relationship with me, not having seen me. Think about it this way. Again, you're in a company town, here's the big boss. You really do love your boss, but you know, he is the boss. You know, with one flick of the wrist, with a promotion, it changes your life. So do you love him because of him, or do you love him because of what he can do for you? if God has made himself to where he is able to be denied even in his existence then when people choose him the relationship that they enter into takes on an entirely different moment we see this with one of the disciples Thomas who we call doubting Thomas and the reason why we call him doubting Thomas is because Jesus shows up again after dying and he's resurrected, and he shows up amongst the disciples, and doubting Thomas wasn't there. So he comes and he says, it wasn't Jesus, it was something else, you guys are all nuts, I'll never believe until I stick my finger in his hand and my hand in his side. So Jesus shows up, and he says, hey Thomas, stick your finger in my hand and your hand in my side. And Thomas says, see now watch, the nature of the choice here, the nature of the choice that he's making. Did Thomas believe? Or was it proven to him? The nature of the choice is Thomas says, my master, my God. He he saw him die. He was dead for three days. Now he's alive. He's sticking his hand. He's sticking his finger. He's sticking his hand. This is it, right? But now watch what Jesus says. This is this principle that we're going after today. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. See, physical senses. You believe that way. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing an even deeper place peter actually explains this again in a beautiful way where peter says you know me james and john were up on the mountain one day and we saw jesus transform transfigure into glory we saw him shining that's not something you see every day right you know what i mean we weren't doing drugs or anything you know he just started shining it was so bright we could hardly look at it we saw him In spiritual, they saw, you know, the spiritual which was locked off to them. Now they could see it. That's who Jesus really is. He said, we saw Jesus with our eyes, with our perception. And I'm telling you, we have something more sure than having seen him with our physical eyes. And that's the relationship that we're ongoing, that we're going with him now through faith, through continual choice. And as we choose him and he shows up, And as we choose him, and then he shows up. And as we choose him, and then he shows up. And then as we choose him, and he shows up. We were talking about anointing in this worship conversation I keep referring to. And and we were talking about how do you know when it's just a really good musician or it really is God's presence. And there were all kinds of different ways of doing it. But one of the things that we got to was we said, look, one of the things, the way that God has made it is is when we ask and then he shows up, we know that what's happening is a result of the ask if he just showed up, we wouldn't know and we would assume potentially other things. But if you say, God help me, and then God helps you, (laughs) you know it's God, (laughs) see? And so this is the nature of what we're talking about here. This thing, this this dimension, this element of the spiritual breaking into the natural and the natural being able to access the spiritual and so on. And in chapter 14, here's the thing that I did then, is in chapter 14 I said, okay, the 144,000 show up and they show up on Mount Zion with Jesus. And I said, is that in the heavens or is that here? And clearly it's in the heavens at least in part, because it says it right here. I heard a sound from heaven. So he's talking about heaven. A sound of cascading waters, a rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing their harps. They sang a new song before the throne, God's throne, they're in the spiritual realm in heaven, and before the four living creatures and the elders. This is clearly got Jesus on Mount Zion with 140,000 in heaven. But then I also said something, and this is the one I'm having to retract. I also said, I I made the argument that this is, and I said potential, I didn't say it was absolutely certain, but I said, I I believed, and did until today, that 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 was also Mount Zion here because the spiritual, think about it this way. Since the garden, until the end, there's a separation between spiritual and material, spiritual and physical, right? For the reasons we've been talking about, faith and choice and relationship. But in the end, God is going to show up. <laughs> and when he shows up, and he's spirit, people are going to see the spiritual realm. So it's coming back again. So the the question is, when's it come back? And I made the comment that I thought it came back here when Jesus was here with one hundred forty-four thousand, and this was something the world could see. And I want to say, I don't think that's right, because I think it happens five verses later. So it's in the same time frame, but I just want to show you here why I'm saying that, and why this is really important. So if this is 144,000 here and this is chapter 14 this is the first five verses the 144,000 are then you see this little arrow tip right here just this part if we were to take that just little arrow part and we were to blow it up make it bigger right so that we can get some detail inside of it which is what we're getting for the next five chapters 14 through 19 we're getting detail of what's happening at the very end now do you understand something this is not a period of time that is taking years It's not even taking months. We don't know exactly how long it takes. But this is probably a matter of days in which all of this takes place. It is Christ's return, and then it's over but there is some detail in here that's really, really key. We got the 144,000 with Jesus in heaven here, and then we're going to look at today, first angel, second angel, third angel, and then, it, and I'm even putting a question mark here because you're going to see, it, it's, it's such a compressed time frame that it's, it's all sort of happening at once. But there is a bit of chronology in here that's important so what i'm saying is is here's the time when jesus shows up somewhere about we know for sure that he's here by the time the final battle happens right because he comes in the white horses we see in chapter 19. okay now i know that this is a little technical okay but it's important and here's why it's important when is the first time that the world sees that there is actually a spiritual dimension do you understand christians throughout ages have seen visions have seen God, have seen angels, you know, seen things. I mean, it's not like the the spiritual hasn't cracked through and poked its head in every once in a while, right? But when is the first time that the whole world is going to see the spiritual realm? You could say this. Well, remember when, when that unholy trinity, chapters 12 and 13, when we've got Satan who stands on the land and on the sea, and then there's a beast that comes up out of the sea and a beast that comes out of the land, and we understand something about it. The Antichrist and the false prophet, these two beasts, these are human beings. These are not spiritual beings. These are human beings. They're spiritual, because all, all human beings are, but they're physical, in this realm, human beings. But now let me ask you something. Could people in the world see Satan at that point in time? Now this is a bit speculation, but think about it. Right now today, what am I doing right here? I'm standing in front of you talking about a God whom you cannot see. Remember what we said is going to happen in the end? God is going to let Satan mimic every aspect of what happens in Christianity and God, miracles included, fantastic miracles, such as to get the whole world to be deceived and believe in the beast. But think about it this way. I don't think that people are actually seeing Satan at that point in time. I think they're seeing two creatures. Miracles are happening, and they're pointing to a creature, that a beast that people can't see, the devil. And they're saying, worship him. Now, they're not calling him the devil, because people wouldn't worship the devil, you think, you hope, anyway, whatever. But you get the drift, see? I think, once again, what's happened is, they don't see Satan they just see miracles and they know that it's greater than what people could do and these people are saying it's this and worship this and so people are worshiping that which happens to be a mimic an imitation a deception made to look like Christ but it isn't Christ and if you know Christ you should know better but if you don't know Christ you don't know better and you get sucked into the deception but the point is at that point in time we don't have a spiritual being being perceived by the whole world. And that's why I needed to change when people see Christ on Mount Zion. Because I don't think you see Jesus until he returns again on the White Horse, chapter 19. You know the first being that I think the world sees where the whole world sees it? This first angel. I saw another angel flying through the sky. Greek wording in here, make it very clear. This is the natural, four-dimensional, height, width, depth sky. And there's an angel flying through the sky in a way, proclaiming the good news, which we'll get to, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Now, just, just put yourself in this moment, okay? You're thinking that there is no spiritual realm, and all of a sudden, there's an angel flying overhead... Shouting something at you. <laughs> Oops! <laughs> right now, wouldn't you think that at that moment in time that people would go, "Oops! Wow! You know that that guy that was keep telling me about Christ and Christianity and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that must be true because look, there's an angel. <laughs> He's flying through the sky. He's not in a jet. Uh, can I say something? I I, don't, I love this guy, and so I just want to say it as a joke. Franklin Graham, I heard him talking, and they, he was talking about uh, Christ's return and how it could happen to where it was everybody could see it at once. He says maybe that's like a Twitter thing, <laughs> you know, everybody sees like a video feed of Jesus returning on their phones, you know what I mean? And I just went, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? I, like I really love Franklin, but that was one of those moments where I kind of wished Ruth Ann was actually the one, you know, if we would just let women do that, you know, because she really carries the word of God and so does he deeply. And I love the man, and Samaritan's Purse is an amazing ministry. But, boy, I'll tell you, listen to Ruth Grandma sometime. That girl will just knock your socks off. You know, I mean, there's an anointing on her that seems to be very similar to dad. And again, I don't want to get into too much depth on this. But, bottom line, bottom line is when this happens, everybody in the world sees that there is a spiritual dimension. And you would think that people would say, oh, and believe. Now, look, you know, are they believing for the right reasons? No, but, you know, everybody worships the big boss, right? Actually, it turns out they don't. That's what's really phenomenal about what's starting to happen right now. Understand, when you read this, and we're going to look at it, there's a spiritual being that's going to show up, and it's not going to change hardly anybody's mind. (laughs) Choice. Because God has, as I've been saying over and over, God has orchestrated the whole of the end times in such a way that what happens is, Every person has made a choice. I'm going to worship God or I'm going to worship the false prophet and the antichrist and the beast that's behind them. Everybody's made a choice. There aren't people anymore who are sitting around going, there is no spiritual dimension. I just don't believe in that. God has orchestrated in such a way that that's not what people think anymore. People have made a choice. So when a spiritual being shows up, it's not the big surprise that we would that it would be if he showed up today. There's been an orchestration that's happened. Now watch this. Okay. What is this angel saying? Flying to the sky here. Fear God, he shouted. I love that he shouted. Fear God. <laughs> Give glory to him. You've been worshiping another, give glory to God, and listen to the kind of God he's telling you to. The time has come when he will sit as judge, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the springs of water. See where he goes to? He's saying, fear the God that created everything. You are worshiping a God who has made your lives easier in the midst of calamity, catastrophe, a third of the world dying. I get it. But there's a God who made everything, and that's the one you're supposed to be worshiping. Worship him. Now let me say something. Does anybody receive this message? Do they? It doesn't say. But can we say, yeah, maybe somebody? (laughs) It's very clear that it isn't a lot of people. But can we hope no, I think we can do more than hope. Why would God come and say this if it simply wasn't going to make any difference to anybody? You could actually argue that he would do that. and The reason why he would do that was because it's judgment. He's telling them, you're going to be judged. And here's why. You've been worshiping the wrong God. But let me go deeper than that. I don't think that God ever does anything just to prove to people that they're wrong. I think he always does things to give people an opportunity to get right. And that's what's happening here. He's coming and he's saying, worship the real God. Worship the one that's true. Now, the problem, as we've been saying, is is that people have made this choice. And the nature of this choice we've got to look at for just a brief second before we go back to the narrative. Do you remember that God has made it clear that there is this thing about the human heart which is people don't even know their own hearts? Meaning this, there are people who no matter what happens will never come to God if God showed up and talked to them right to their face, said, I'm he, worship me, their heart is such that they would never choose to accept him, to love him, to worship him. Now, God has, I'm going to make it clear that God has not made that clear, even to people's own hearts. But do remember, the example that he uses in Romans goes like this. There's this guy, Pharaoh, and God shows up and he says, you know, you're imprisoning my, you're enslaving my people, let them go. And then he does a couple of miracles, and their magicians do a couple of miracles, so Pharaoh's thinking, no big deal. But then God starts doing miracles that their magicians can't do. Really incredible things, 10 plagues, you remember, and then a Red Sea thing, right? And in these 10 plagues, what happens? Watch. Something happens, Pharaoh can't explain it. It's really bad, and what does he do? He repents. Praise God. He turns. He says, oops, go ahead, you can leave. But then what's he do? Nah, (laughs) right? His heart, now watch, Ramon says it this way, God hardened his heart. What does that mean? Did God touch his heart and say, I'm gonna make your heart hard? Or did he take a heart that had a certain openness to it, at least on the surface, but in fact was closed down here? And did God reveal by step, by step, by step, how hard that heart really was? God hardened his heart. It had an openness as far as Pharaoh was concerned. I'm an open-minded man, right? But then God revealed how truly unopen he was. So open that when it gets to the point to where the firstborn in all of Egypt dies and none of the Israelites die, Pharaoh still feels like it's a good idea to go out and kill God's people <laughs> and sends an army to do so who drowned in the Red Sea. This is craziness. This is not open-mindedness this is a closed heart at the bottom and in fact this is exactly the point that paul makes when he says in the same way even though god has the right to show his anger and his power meaning even though he knows the nature of the heart in a person which one it really is he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction in other words he doesn't reveal that soon why doesn't he reveal that soon you know why Because if every person who truly had one of these hearts that at the bottom of it would never come to God, and not just would never come to God, but remember what we've been seeing over and over throughout history, and believe me, this has happened over and over throughout history. People who have this kind of a heart, when that heart gets revealed in fullness, what do they do? They start killing God's people. (laughs) We saw it with Hitler, and then we saw it back in history with Rome, and we saw it back and back and back and back. See what I mean? People that... People, when their heart is fully revealed in what it is, that are not going to follow God, hate God and hate everybody that's with them, and they kill them. So if God revealed everybody's heart right now, there wouldn't be a world left because everybody would be killing each other. See what I mean? The people that hate God would be killing the Christians, they'd be dying, and that'd be it. That is, in fact, now what's going to happen in the end. This is what martyrdom is all about. It starts in chapter 6 with the martyrdom of Christians and then it becomes the Jewish story and then in the Jewish story, the ones that come to Christ when they see and so on and they come to Christ and then they're going to be killed by the Antichrist and you see what's happening. And so the point that I'm making goes like this. He says it this way. This lawlessness, this, this thing that will not receive God, this lawlessness is already at work secretly. It's hidden. It's there you just don't see it. And it will remain secret until the one who's holding it back steps out of the way. In other words, God is intentionally keeping everybody's heart at a more superficial level than the depths to which it could actually go to. And he's keeping it up there so that people can, like, have a life. <laughs> Make choices. Live. This is what he's doing. Now, there will come a time when... Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. And everybody would say, that's Satan, and this is, you know, and we'll get into that in more detail later or in another sermon. But the bottom line is we'll all say, it's all right for God to do that, right? It means Satan is against God, and God, you know, he's been being a pain in his side forever, and God's given him every chance to repent, and he hasn't. And so it's all right at some point in time for God to judge, right? It's all right at some point in time for god to judge satan but that's not actually what we're talking about today what we're talking about is where it got to that now god is judging the people that you love that don't know him now that's hard and it better be hard because here's what god does the first thing he does is is that he sends this angel saying, fear God and give glory to him. He's giving him a chance. Understand. Remember, he set up the rule about free will, separation of spiritual and material, and now he's violating it. (laughs) At the very last moment, in the very last hours, God is still coming to people and saying, switch. (laughs) Switch. My favorite professor, second favorite professor in seminary, John Ray, Favorite was Rod Williams. Doesn't matter, but I get to say it. But John Ray, old guy, wonderful guy. And he, just do, he did a whole bunch of Old Testament taught. In fact, he was one of the translators of the NASB, New American Standard, which was the first sort of non-King James-ish kind of translation and all this. So he comes along and he does this. John Ray says, I'm going to talk to you about the prophets. And he says, right at the start here, I'm going to tell you something about the prophets. Here's how the prophets are typically taught. God is so mad at you. And they pound the pulpit and point their fat finger in your face. And he said, I'm gonna, we're going to read the prophets, and we're going to actually read what's said, not the cherry-picked parts. We're going to read what's actually said, and what you're going to see is God is saying, oh, please change. Oh, please stop. Stop. Don't you know what's going to happen? Oh, please, what can I do next? How can I do this? I'm going to have this happen, and you're going to see that it happens, and when it happens, is that going to change you? Because I'll do that, and I'll do it at great cost to myself and my people. I will do this incredible thing. Please change. Please don't go down this road. Do you know where you're going? Please don't go down this road. And he said, what you're going to find in the prophets is a God who is weeping for the whole world, just like Kathy said in her word. And this is God doing exactly that. The first angel that he says, says, worship the real God. The second angel that he sends, he goes through the sky shouting, Babylon has fallen, that great city Babylon. She made all the nations of the world drink from the wine of her passionate immorality. We will see this in more detail in a further chapter as it comes back to look at this. But the bottom line, let me tell you right now, here's what Babylon represents. Wealth, prosperity, the world. Babylon is the reason why people have nice cars and homes and clothes and all of this kind of stuff. It's the world system, materialism. God does not care about people being prosperous. He does care about people loving money and leaving him. And so what happens is Babylon is this system which has been perverting people from God in prosperity. And now what's happened is, and we're going to see it in the coming weeks, what's happened is, is that the world's system has gone down. And it is gone. And the world looks on her who made them rich and weep. Because it's over. And what God is saying is, I got it. You're worshiping somebody else. There's the real God. Please worship me. But I got it. You're worshiping somebody else. Now I'm going to kick a pillar out from underneath you. You know that prosperity thing, that wealth thing, that thing that made you? I'm going to kick all of that out from underneath you, and you can't lean on that anymore. Now, now will you come? Will you trust the God who said, I got you? Because nothing else has got you anymore. (laughs) Will you trust me? Will you come now? And then the third angel comes. A third angel followed, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast in the statue or accepts the mark or the f- on the forehead of the hand. Remember, this is that end of, you know, end of chapter 13 where there's the Antichrist and the false prophet, and the false prophet gets everybody to worship the Antichrist and the beast behind him. And he says, look, you've got to take a mark on your hand or on your forehead, and that's the only way that you can enter into commerce in the world and so on. And here's what he's saying. He's coming and he's pleading. He's saying, anyone who worships the beast who has this mark on the forehead of the hand, they must drink of the wine of God's anger This is a warning. Is God warning people about something that they're going to experience and there's no way to change? I don't think so. I think he's warning people, if you've got the mark, can you get it off? I don't know, but I think that God is giving people an opportunity. He's saying, look, you're going to drink of God's anger. It's been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath. You're going to be tormented with fire and burning and sulfur in the presence of holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Meaning, as we looked at when we saw it, they love the deception, not God. They love the other God, the other beast. Not really a God at all, but one who makes himself out to be one. See what I mean? And here's what he's saying. I think, I think the way that we, if we just look at it plainly, if we just understand God's character and nature, I think that we plainly see something. God is coming and he's saying, have you taken on the mark of the beast? You now know that there's a spiritual dimension. You now know this. You now know everything. I'm coming to you. I'm pleading with you. Let me ask it this way. Is there anybody in the world who is going to be Seeing these angels and say, oh my God, I took the mark on. I'm in big trouble. Let me just ask it this way. Do you think a person that had the mark on and that realized now and suddenly realized that this is a bad thing, do you think that it's too late for them to turn their foot to God? I don't. I think it's right up to the last nanosecond. If somebody were to go, oh my God, I got deceived and I just didn't get it. Oh God, and I think if they turn to God, I think God says, here, come here. And there's a reason why I say that, which I'm not gonna be able to get to right now. (laughs) Because I wanna take it one more step deeper. This is God pleading with all of mankind. But now watch what he does. Remember, I keep telling you, revelation is comfort food. What's that mean? It means if you're destined to be persecuted and martyred, and you've been told that that's going to happen and why it's going to happen, does it make it easier? Does it comfort you? It does. If you're being persecuted and martyred, and you don't really know what this is all about, you know, you were a prosperity doctrine guy, and you thought it was all going to work out good, and you were going to have a nice car, a nice house in heaven too, And all of a sudden you're getting persecuted and martyred and all this kind of stuff? And you don't know why and you've never been told that it's going to happen to you? How are you? I don't know if I can trust God anymore, right? But what if God came to you and said, this is going to happen. And I'm telling you it's going to happen because I want to comfort you. Which is exactly what God does right here again. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands, maintaining their faith in Jesus like the 144,000 do. And I've, heard vo- and I've heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. This is the blessing of people that go through a really hard time. God is bigger than the worst that you can go through. God is bigger than being torn from limb to limb like some of the disciples were. Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they're blessed indeed. They will rest from their hard work. Their good deeds will follow them. This is not an argument that our good deeds is what gets us into heaven, if you're a good person all that. What this is saying is, is you've undergone this incredibly hard thing of being persecuted. And you made it. And I've got you. But that is still a weird way to say it, isn't it? Resting from their hard work. What was the work that they were doing? Was it passing out tracks on the sidewalk, you know, before they got flayed? No. Think about this for a second. I hope this blows your mind. You remember I said that God was trying to get to people until the very last second? Guess who he uses to help him accomplish that? You and me. Guess how he uses us? He allows you to be killed. That doesn't, can I can't say right now, what a stupid religion. <laughs> if you're coming up, if you're trying to make up a man-made religion, you do not put this in your religion. Here's what it is, come and worship me because I'm gonna kill you. Who would ever do that? The problem that we've got is this is true and it is beautiful. Jesus Christ died so that you and I might live. Do you think that there was a guard in Auschwitz who was carrying out the gassing of Jews who at some point just said, What the hell am I doing? This is crazy. This is nuts. I'm out and just started to walk away. Somebody in here probably knows that there's stories of people doing that because I can guarantee you there's some. It unfortunately wasn't most because the deception was so full that people could do crazy things and think it was reasonable. But I'm telling you, not everybody. Now watch. If God is allowing tens of millions of Christians to die, And the first thing they're doing is not recanting their faith so as to keep their life. I'm going to shoot you unless you renounce Christ. I love my Lord and Savior. Bang. What does that do to the soul of the person that sees that over and over? What does that do to the world when they see Christians gladly dying? Gladly might be the wrong word. not walking away from it. Do you see what's happening here? I want you to let go just one more step with me here. God is allowing you to be killed because it might save somebody. Not just because they see that you're willing to keep it and all this kind of stuff. God is saying this. The people come to him, the Christians come to him after they've been raptured and they shout to the Lord and they say, oh sovereign Lord, holy and true. They've been, a whole bunch of Christians have been martyred and then the rest got raptured and so on. How long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Do you see that? How long? When are you going to show up? When are you going to do the right thing? Here's what God says. A white robe was given to each of them saying, I know that you just went through something really tough. They were told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. I'm making a subtle point here. Right here what he's saying is, I will not end it until the last person has come to the fullness. But let me take it one more step with you. Now watch. I'm not going to end it until that last guy who was killing you. And finally got it and turned. I'm not going to end it until that one person turns. Abraham comes to Job or comes to God and says, "Don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, if you find 50 people in there, will you? Yeah, no, I won't destroy it if there's 50. People. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Could he gone down? Could he have gone down to one? He stopped at 10 and there weren't 10." But could he have gone down to one? Yeah. And God is saying, I'm not willing, even though it costs you your life, even though it's painful the way in which it costs you your life. Let me ask it this way. Is there anybody in here who would not die for someone that you love if it brought them to Christ? Anybody? Anybody wouldn't willingly give their life that every person, including my loved one, might come? You see what God has just done in a miraculous way? He has brought us right into who he is. I'm going to save people through you and what happens to you. because we're made in His image and that's what He did in Christ, (laughs) right? I died for all of you because I love you. (laughs) Wow, huh? We're in a really hard place. We're going to read the really hard place right now. But can I just say something? Wow. God's love is incredible. But at some point in time, having done everything he possibly could in every way that he possibly could in ways even that are costing his own beloved children their lives. At some point in time, it's done. You're not ever going to come. That's it. And so what happens is, I saw a white cloud seated on the cloud with someone like the Son of Man, Jesus. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came from the temple and shouted, the one sitting on the cloud, this is it. Swing the sickle, the time of the harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth. The whole earth was harvested. Who's being harvested here? Christians. The ones that are the son of man's. And then... After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven and had a sharp sickle, and another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar, and he shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle, Swing your sickle now to gather the clusters of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great of God's wrath and the grapes were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed from the wine press into a stream about 180 miles long as high as the horse's bridle. There are Christians that have been martyred and they don't gloat about this. this isn't a moment to rejoice. oh they killed me and then and and now you're getting your own. What this ought to do to every person sitting in this place right now is to understand that when this happens, it is a grievous thing to the Lord. This is a hard moment. It has come about after the most unbelievable attempts to have it not come about. But at some point in time, God is going to take out of play those who will never come to him that he might give to those who will the new heaven, the new earth, the new garden, the new place with God. And when that happens, let me put it this way, bringing it right home today, number one, the lengths to which God will go to get you. I had the most glorious moment with the Lord just a little bit ago, and I can't go into detail on it, but it was just on Thursday. And it's been, I said three months at the men's retreat, but it actually hasn't been that long Now I think about it. It's been about five, six weeks where God has been talking to me about all kinds of things. When I go on my walk, I always have a relationship with him. But there was a certain intimacy, a closeness that had just wasn't there. And it wasn't that it wasn't close. It just that really he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to me about a lot of things, but it wasn't, you know, the two guys on the railroad track with the straw on their teeth. It just wasn't, there just was a dimension to it that wasn't there. And there were all kinds of reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into it. But the bottom line was, is I was just asking God, I was just saying, I just want you i don't care about the church and i don't i do of course but i don't if that isn't what's primary importance to me i don't care about all these other things i want you and he just showed up on my walk and i'm, I'm sure I, I walk in viewcrest if anybody lives in viewcrest that crazy guy that had his hands raised and was crying that was me because I had my hands raised and I was walking around Viewcrest and cars would drive by and i think I should raise, lower my hands so I don't look like an idiot. And as soon as I start to lower my hands, I could feel His presence start to leave and I'd just push Him right back up. Because I was just like this. is I was just basking in His presence. The most precious thing that there is. All the things that we ask people to do at church, to serve and to get involved, that's to come to know that. Not to do things for him. He doesn't need things done. He's good at doing things. Right? He's the ultimate execution. Right? I don't mean executor. I mean getting things done. He's the ultimate Julie Jenkins. Right? But what we want people to come to is that place that we, billions of us, have found that would make us never give him up. Because it's life. It's breath. It's, It's water. It's... The best thing ever. And here's what I want to say. That's how much God loves you, and that's what he's pursuing with you, and that's where you need to be, and that's how he'll pursue you, and he will not give up until he gets to that place with you, and just so get there with him. But here's what's important for us today, two weeks from Easter, a day in which statistics tell us that 80% of all people that don't know the Lord say they will go to church if someone will just ask them that's those are those are statistics from years ago but they've been redone and they're still true people say nobody asked me and if you will just ask people will come to church and we're, we're doing the most incredible easter thing when you walk in here this whole room will look different i mean it won't we're not using the stage or anything we're going after an entirely different thing. it'll be so warm and wonderful it'll be such an excellent time to bring someone that doesn't know the lord because they're going to feel his presence they're going to know what it is to feel his presence And the reason why that's so important is because I don't want them to be in that river. I want them to be in God's stream. I want them to be where they know His presence.